This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodger-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We have new information about inflation in America today. On Thursday, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics released the Consumer Price Index for October. That number is how we measure inflation in our country. We'll get our financial experts to give their opinion on what the new rate means for the future of prices, and they're also ready for your other money questions. Contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. So good morning. Hope that you're both doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning it's cold here. It's Mississippi. Why is it so cold? <laughs> it's been nice to pull the jacket out. I mean, it's not. No, yeah. no it hasn't. I, I'm thinking just a couple of weeks ago, I was saying, why is it so hot here? <laughs> You don't have it, to pull it changes that, quick. It does. heavy jackets yet. I mean, it's not that that cold. Hopefully, it won't get too cold. But uh, a little cool weather is good for the soul, I think. Mm. <clears throat> uh, so, Nancy, let's uh, let's start into things. So, what's on your mind, financially speaking, this week? A hundred million dollars, Kevin. Wow. I'm trying to imagine a hundred. Oh, congratulations, million Nancy! Where to go? Um, so that's been in the news because Jeff Bezos, um, who founded Amazon, has a lot of money, and he's giving a lot of it away. And so he gave an award to Dolly Parton. Certainly, she was also very philanthropic before this. But he has said, here's $100 million of my money. So he gets the tax break. But she has to decide where that money goes. And so that's kind of an interesting idea of letting other people with uh, a different set of ideas and a different focus. But it also reminds me that as we hit this time of the year, we are working with our clients because you're looking at your donations and you're looking at the total, what you want to do. And it really is important to stop and think about what's what is important to you? What are the things that you can have an impact on? And how do you do it? So we help people do that. Those people who have required minimum distributions from their IRA account, and they don't really need those funds, we're encouraging them to donate that. So there's a lot of activity at the year end as people are looking at those possible donations, considering how it has an impact on your taxes. But more importantly, what kind of impact can you have on the total world? Is there a history of Jeff Bezos and Dolly Parton being friends? She's, I don't know. She is America's largest buyer of books, and <laughs> he true. famously made his wealth from selling books. So I don't know that they've met at, say, a bookstore or anything, but it is an interesting tie-in right there. He's, I, th- I feel like he was just maybe – he just sent her a refund from her Amazon you think account. So. That's, well, that's how it works. Last year he gave $100 million to Chef Jose Andres, I think that's his mm, name, Yes, um, who does all the work in uh, disaster areas and going to places and preparing meals. Um, But this is just an interesting idea because 
giving away that much money. A drop in the bucket for this man. It is true. But it's hard work. <laughs> it's hard work to think about mm-hmm. it, process that. And if you have that kind of money, you can guarantee, and Kevin's already trying to find his contact mm-hmm. information, um, you have a lot of people at your door asking for funds. So you have to think carefully about it. Uh, yeah, I'm you gonna... also have someone at your you have someone at your door to hold him back to probably probably yeah lots I, of lawyers. I'm going to create the indigent announcers fund. So next year I'm going to get go. that money and uh, there so, we go. And of course you know you qualify as announcers, so you you'll get part of the money too. All so, right, that's we'll so be directors. That's I really right. appreciate that. You could be the money managers for the fund. Uh, Ryder, what about you? What's uh, caught your eye, financially speaking? So a rather exciting story in the crypto world. Exciting, I would say that in the exciting, not the exciting good, but the exciting bad way is FTX. It was a crypto exchange run by a fairly well-liked guy, Sam, I forget how to pronounce this last name. But uh, so a little history here, FTX, the futures exchange, uh, Bitcoin exchange, they started out as a trading shop, Alameda Research. They got, they did very kind of market neutral stuff, just making markets, doing a lot of trading to ensure that when people wanted to buy or sell their various crypto, there was somebody on the other end selling them or buying them crypto. So they're kind of helping to bring markets together, make them more efficient. This is very common in finance. A uh, big part of, of our stock exchanges are folks doing this sort of market making activity. They got really big because they were good at this. And they started a brokerage. They call it an exchange in the crypto world. They started a brokerage so basically people could come, deposit money, buy crypto, buy Bitcoin. That allowed them to have another pool of people to trade with, and they were first dibs on that. Ultimately, there's still a lot of speculation. A lot is not known about what exactly happened, but it appears that they started doing trades that they were not good at. They started doing trades which were much more risky, and they were just – totally miscalculating what they were doing. They ended up borrowing quite a lot to do these trades, and they ended up borrowing. This is a big, bad, fraudulent, criminal thing that happened. They borrowed from the customer's accounts. And then they lost they lost it all. But he apologized. He apologized on Twitter, and then he started tweeting some really weird things. So I don't really know where all this is going. But but essentially, you can make bad bets with your own money. You can make bad bets with just some cash you have, and all you're going to lose is your cash. But when you borrow money and make those bad bets, you can lose more than you had to start with. And when you borrow that from depositors who just think, oh, I have an account with some Bitcoin in it, and you've and borrowed that Bitcoin, and now it's gone, that's a big problem. So that leverage killed them. They took in – they also also took in a lot of money from outside investors, uh, venture capitalists. This is not publicly traded stuff. They're very, very scant bit of it may have been in one or two publicly traded mutual funds. Um, but this sort of thing, it, what they were doing is they had what's called a proprietary trading. And that's what they start out as, those traders. But then they started what we would call a brokerage or a bank. And you can't in, – in traditional finance, we, we've built somewhat of a wall between those two. A bank can't take your money and do crazy risky bets. They have capital requirements. They have to take – if you go to Trustmark or Regions or Capital One or American Express Bank today, as Kevin has done and reminds me every week, then you put your money in there and you expect your money to be there. And in order to ensure that money will be there, there are – 
one, you have government guarantees. You have FDIC insurance. But in exchange for that guarantee, you have a lot of regulation. They have to have that money in treasuries. They have to have that money in cash. They have to have that money in short-term fixed income. They have to have that money in mortgages. So it's backed by something where we kind of all know where it's at. They're not doing risky trading. So that's the big thing. That's the big difference between the crypto world and our the traditional the lack of regulations is that lack of yeah. regulations. So they did not have that barrier. They did borrow from customers, and it, it, the story is is crazy. The more you read into it, um, similar things have happened before in crypto. Fraud has happened. Theft has happened. These things have happened. I don't know what this means for the crypto world right Be now. Be careful. Right now, obviously, a lot of people losing theirs is is not great for the price nor people's confidence in the in the exchanges. And that's another thing about the traditional finance. A lot of the Regulation is to build confidence in in the product. So we want people to be confident investing in the stock market. Yes, it goes up and down, but it's not generally riddled with fraud and theft. Uh, so we want people to be confident putting their money in there and letting that grow. And and that is a uh, crypto has a long way to go in that regard. It kind of reminds me of the Wells Fargo story from several years ago, where the bank was creating accounts for customers without their mm. knowledge and i guess criminals but why why did why did they think they could get away with that that's well because they are they don't have the oversight that exists in other parts mm-hmm. of the financial world um and if we go back to the start of cryptocurrency with bitcoin the w- reason it was grabbed onto because they could do Uh, criminal transactions across borders. And so it invited a lot of shady stuff going on. And then, of course, you have people just piling in. In the last 12 months, Bitcoin has declined 71%. Ryder, do we know how they got caught? Uh, so they got caught because people started saying, where's my, <laughs> where's yes, my money? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So people, so, so there's a couple of different things. One, the owner of a different exchange tweet, there was an article that came out that said, Hey, this is a little weird. It looks like they don't quite have what they say on their balance sheet because people are looking at these things and there's ways we can find out things, but there's a lot of ways again, because they're not as regulated, they can hide a lot of things. So that came out. And then the owner of another exchange said, yeah, I agree. That is a little suspicious. I'm going to be getting rid of my, they have a certain specific investment, which is tied to that exchange. They're like, We're going to be getting rid of that, which led people to say, Oh, the price of that's going to go down. I want to start getting my money out of that. And then they realized they were having trouble getting their money out of their account. So they had a, a run. It was a bank run. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's kind of like um, if you were walking down the street and walking by your bank and someone's standing outside of the American Express Bank and they're saying, oh my goodness, American Express doesn't have any money. You got to get your money out while you can. Everyone who is an American Express customer will be like, holy cow, I've got to get my money as fast as I can. Uh, but of course, it, even in a bank, again, capital requirements, they don't have all that cash sitting in a vault for you right then and there. But that's exactly, that's a bank run. That's how it happened. This is Money Talks. And uh, we talked some about inflation last week, but decided to put off the bulk of our conversation until today since uh, that report that we mentioned was coming out. So now the Bureau of Labor and Statistics has released the Consumer Price Index for the month of October. Ryder, what was in that report? 
Yes. So this one was this one was interesting. Kind of like we've been saying, after about a year or so of these higher numbers, getting some normal numbers will naturally start to bring that uh, year over year inflation number down. So the consumer price index, the overall thing, rose 0.4 percent, which is a far cry from where it had been. We had a 1.2 percent in a month. We had a 1.3 percent in a month. And so over the last 12 months, that's been 7.7 percent. Again, very high, but as we start getting more of these, say, lower increase months, then some of those higher ones from earlier in the year will roll off. Uh, I wanted to pull out a couple of numbers which were just kind of stood out to me. Some of the ones, of course, we're looking forward to Thanksgiving, and everyone's going to be happy to know that in the last month, the line item other uncooked poultry, including turkey, Turkeys. is flat. Now, now it's up 16.9 year over year. And, and so this does include turkey and I guess all other poultry besides chicken. Chicken is divided up into fresh whole and, and fresh and you know, chicken, chicken is chicken r- very popular right now. Chicken is very popular. It's gone up 14.8%, 14.5% for the year. Uh, the turkey is up 169 It is flat for the month, which is great news uh, for folks who who were worried that the price was going to shoot up uh, when they right before they bought their turkey. But it, the report, like I said last week, it breaks these things out into all different numbers. Of course, some of the big drivers still energy. That's super volatile as you see the price of gasoline going up and down. I know it was a couple months ago, I saw gas at like below $3. It's, I saw it as high as 340 or something recently. So it's it's all over the place. Uh, so maybe we should have a goose for uh, Thanksgiving this year. No, <laughs> no, we cannot do that. Well, if you want to know, the the best uh, mess meal, so it says the breakfast sausage is down one point six percent this year. So your your breakfast after Thanksgiving is going to be a going to be an inexpensive one. I just have a turkey sandwich the next day. Um, I, bacon and related products up only two point one percent on the year. So mm-hmm. your breakfast bacon has not changed. Beef products, uh, and so this is one of the things we were talking about last week is the higher priced meats. Beef is generally a higher price meat. Uh, as prices overall have gotten higher, people shift out of those higher priced items. So when they're looking at meat, they're shifting from beef to pork and chicken. So chicken is up 15%, but beef is actually flat to down for the year. So if you are a person who enjoys a, a uncooked ground beef, uncooked beef, or, uh, hopefully you're cooking these when you get them, beef steaks, other have beef a and veal. They, Steak <laughs> there you tartare. Go. There, and well, you can have that. They don't, no, they don't break it me. out. They don't break it out per cooking category. Rare, but no. <laughs> Rare wrong. steaks, beef tartare. Um, so those are actually down. So if you're in, looking to that, uh, yes, beef is still one of the more expensive meats, but compared to where it was last year, it might be a little cheaper. And it's not very good for you. So that's the you know, now that it's cheap, it's better for healthier. your wallet, Kevin. That's true. Uh, unless you end up going to the doctor. This is not this is not the health show, <laughs> Kevin. All right. Uh, we are looking for your money questions this morning. If you have a question for our experts, you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. Today we're talking about inflation. But what about inflation around the world? Did you know in the European Union, inflation is sometimes measured by a cup of coffee? We've got more for you next. You're listening to Money Talks, our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org is one way to hear past broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on demand. 
Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Statisticians for the European Union have come up with a universal measure for inflation, the price of a cup of coffee. With the cup, they include coffee, sugar, and milk. The cost of actual coffee across the EU increased by just 0.5% in the previous 12 months, but Finland has experienced the biggest surge in coffee prices, up more than 44%. So... The Finnish love their coffee. I, I would think they'd be using tea, right? Mm. I, in in the, on the continent, I think they they drink like a lot coffee. more coffee. Okay. It's, it's, yeah. it's cold, so yeah, and they they always finish their. But cup. tea, they I drink tea that. hot. I see, I see what they're doing. Uh, yeah. I see what they're doing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I actually looked that one up specifically for the U.S. I, I did not do the combined coffee, sugar, milk. Um, so for all you black coffee drinkers, this will apply for everybody else. <laughs> don't even if you use Splenda. I have to doctor. If mine. you use Splenda, I don't even know how to take this into account. And this is the pattern that we've seen for a lot of the inflation numbers. Someone called last time and asked for our five year numbers. Like, okay, so that's interesting to see those one year numbers we talk about a lot. But we're coming out of a very weird time. How does it compare to five years ago? And what you see for a lot of those numbers is that they were fairly flat, maybe modest inflation, the overall inflation number, bear in mind, for like the last 10 years before 2020 was between 1% and 2%. Which is historically very low. It, it is right. low. It is very low. Because if you go back uh, quite a few years, several decades, you're going to find inflation averaging 3% a year. Mm-hmm. Which is... So it, w- where we get the target for the Federal Reserve, they want at least 2%, but they also want it steady. They don't want it crazy like they have had this year. But when they were seeing it below 2 that's why they wanted more stimulus. Also, um, you know, we talk about this number as a year-over-year number, which, as Ryder mentioned, then includes a lot of weird stuff that was going on post-pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it's more important for us to look at month-over-month. Month. So the he mentioned it gained 0.4%. It also gained 0.4 in the previous month. Mm-hmm. And so if we take that happening every month, that means our inflation rate is now at 4.8%. That is much lower than the 7.7 that's the year-over-year number. And that gives us a better picture of what we're probably going to be facing going forward. Mm-hmm. So that coffee number essentially was flat for years. And in the past year. Let's see. Since July 2021, looks like when it took off, it's up about 15% just in that time. So over the entire last five years, it's up about 15%, but most of that having come from just the past, uh, just a little over a year. So I did go back and kind of look for the past five years as one of our callers asked for. So I hope you are listening. Uh, Over the past five years, kind of the all items index is up about 20%. And that's about 3.75% on an annualized basis. And and I'm just these are these are just rough numbers. I've kind of pulled the basic indexes. I haven't done any adjusting. And so the two big parts of that, the food and the energy, which are factored out for the core inflation, food is up about 25%, energy is up about 38%. So food being up about 4.5% annualized, energy being up about 6.63 annualized. And if you think about energy, so much of that is just driven by the price of oil, price of gas. They do split that out into is it gasoline you're buying for your car or electricity for your house? Uh, gasoline is up. That is the the largest kind of big category that's up. But on the other side, you have some things that are 
not up so much. One thing they call kind of retail commodities includes clothes, uh, medical commodities, uh, alcohol, tobacco, and cars is only up about 3% annually. So that's about 15% for that five-year stretch. And we've talked a lot about car prices. And people, if you've tried to buy a car, you know this is, is crazy. But the bulk of that has been driven by used car prices coming up to kind of almost the same prices as new cars. So new cars, yes, they're harder to get. They are a little more expensive, but they haven't had the crazy inflation that used cars have had. It's just demand for cars has gotten so much bigger, and uh, new ones are so much harder to find. And just this week, I see an ad for new car sales, and Mm. it's offering a special deal on financing, special discounts. I haven't seen that in a long time. So Mm. that's an indicator of that supply chain with new cars starting to ease up a bit. Absolutely. If they're trying to get those cars out the door, they must have cars that need to get out the door. So that's a good sign. This is Money Talks. We're looking for your personal finance questions this morning. If you have a question about inflation, maybe want to better understand what inflation is and the effect on us, you can always send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So what are some ways to protect your personal finances against inflation? Uh, Nancy, let's start with you. What about investing in gold? Well, if you look over a long, long period of time, yes, gold does tend to track inflation. But gold has weird things that go on in the shorter term. And we tend to think of gold as being a fear play. So when people are worried about the economy, they're worried about other investments, they will pile into gold. Um, We saw a peak in gold price per ounce in March. It has declined since then. For the year, gold is down about 3%. And that's with having this inflation number of 7.7%. So those shorter periods, you see spikes, lots of volatility because of this you know, concern about risk, uh, people piling in because they hear, oh, you just need to buy gold. Um, but again, mm. longer, longer periods, you're only going to match inflation. So when you buy gold, do they actually send you like a brick of it or what? (laughs) You can. Sometimes. Sometimes you can get coins. But we always caution people about having actual gold. And Ryder has dealt with some folks who showed up at our door with actual gold because, you know, you have to find somebody to buy that. Mm -hmm. And then it's a lot harder to sell it and to turn that into cash. There's a number of ways to buy gold, since you ask. There are some funds which just invest in gold or gold-related products. Uh, The largest exchange-traded fund, all that's in it, uh, GLD, all that's in it is bars of gold. You don't get those bars. You have no way of getting them. And and those bars never actually move when they're traded. People, they're all just in in a bank vault in New York, and everyone just says, okay, here's my certificate for the gold showing that I own the gold here. You can have it. Give me some money. Um, So you can do that. There are investments you can put in your brokerage account. But yes, you can buy gold bars, coins, jewelry. Uh, but then, of course, you have to store it, and you've got to mm, worry yeah. about it. And if you and if you redid your bathroom and put it into the plaster and the walls, and then you moved and forgot about it, you know what? Man, well, really it's all sorry. about possession with actual gold. Uh, that's right, right. Because right. who knows whose gold that actually is? Whereas your 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 credit card actually, or your brokerage statement, it's got your name on it. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> one of my favorite old TV shows is uh, Mission Impossible, and there were several episodes there where they 
uh, to some evil dictator. They would, I think, on one they actually melted all of his gold out of his vault and sucked it up and put it somewhere else. But they were always that's a clever way of moving it out. (laughs) I can see that match right now. Uh, Ryder, what about uh, sticking some cash under the mattress? Think that's a good inflation hedge? Uh, when you put it that way, no, <laughs> no, um, because if you think about it, the, the inflation is the value of that. Say you have one dollar in your in your hand, the value of that one dollar is decreasing as other prices go up, as the things that you use that dollar to buy get more expensive. Then, by comparison, that dollar gets. Uh, less valuable. So keeping it uh, in cash in your mattress, uh, that is not going to keep up with inflation. Although I will point out, it is not entirely unreasonable for people to say, oh, I like to keep a little bit of cash under my mattress or I like to keep a little cash in my sock drawer. So, Cash? What is cash? I don't know about <laughs> cash anymore. So it's this green paper stuff. It's kind of weird. Well, there are coins. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and Unless you live in Europe and then it's really very colorful. funny looking well, color. Yeah. yeah, so everyone else has really colorful, colorful money, but I kind of like ours because it is so distinctive. Yeah. Everyone else, you look at their money, it's just like, what is this Monopoly money? And then you see a dollar and you're like, that is – that's absolutely – I know that anywhere. Um, So cash under your mattress, it's not entirely unreasonable because the value in cash is not necessarily that you expect it to keep up with inflation. The value of having cash is that you know it is right there. And that's the value of having your bank account, cash. That's the value of having cash in your pocket. It's you know you can just pull that out, spend it today, good to go. Whereas – if you had it in longer term investments, if you had it tied up in real estate, you can't you can't break as Nancy always says you can't break a brick off. No, and, eat it. and and we do have talked before about uh, having a little bit of cash on hand in case of natural disasters. Mm-hmm. Certainly, people on the coast with hurricanes uh, to be able to have something that you can take with you if you can't if you have some problems with getting into your bank account. This is Money Talks. Uh, we're looking for your personal finance questions this morning. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're talking about inflation. Looking at the EU's measure of inflation, what are some notable components from around their continent? We'll tell you next. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Good morning. I'm Kevin Farrell, and I'm here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Adding sugar to your cup of coffee has become even more expensive, with the EU price of sugar up 33.4% since August of 2021. Adding sugar to your coffee in Poland is more than 109% more expensive. So uh, I I think they'd have to add in frothed milk into that category, the way the younger generation Mm. seems to like their... With with a little... Palm tree on there or something. I need, yeah. I need to know how the, the index for regular milk is different from the froth milk yes, one. The, or the steamed, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't Absolutely. drink, so I don't really know. So. Well. I see that's the whole coffee thing is just way over my that's head. That's why we I'm have not a coffee drinker. You're that's not a coffee drinker? Nope. Oh, my goodness. Ryder, mm. how can we be in the same room with him? Well, uh, so so interestingly, Kevin is, though, a cookie baker. That's right. And, ah. and uh, so I was looking to see what, what do we have in the sweets category. And cookies, uh, year on year, are up 15.7%. What so about think, Girl Scout cookies? A bit, well, yeah. I don't know. How much they have they, gone up. What are they, they, what are they at up. now? I don't remember, but I know they're Six dollars a box, something like what? that, I think. That's like twice as much as it was last year. But but those mint cookies are what I call inelastic. 
meaning they right. can People raise will. the price to whatever <laughs> exactly. I'm going to buy. Them. And and it's a good illustration of how inflation happens. Kind of like we were saying over the coffee, it kind of stayed flat for a long time, really rose this year. And so Girl Scout cookies, you don't they don't adjust the price up seven point six percent every year. Right. But it's several years the box was whatever it was five dollars, I guess is what we're saying it was, and then. It jumped up to $6. So that's 20% inflation in that one year, but still over that longer term, maybe the same inflation, uh, maybe similar to other items. Well, and the other thing about these rising prices, and I think about coffee going down to the local coffee shop, is that companies have been able to raise their prices. Mm -hmm. People are not, they have more money in their pockets. Uh, We had the stimulus where about 40% of it was saved. Um, We had more, we have more room in our credit cards, we are working. And so they're able to raise those prices. And it's sort of this, you know, bit of a cycle going on here where we're demanding these things. They're raising the prices. We don't blink, and off they go. So uh, in the previous uh, segment, we were talking about hedges against inflation. Uh, Ryder, what about uh, investing in the stock market? Yes, so you do expect stocks to be somewhat of a hedge against inflation, particularly in the long term. Like Nancy talked about, gold responds to a lot of things in the market. So do stocks. Stocks respond to a lot of different things. But over time, inflation is the price of the goods you buy going up. And the stock market is full of companies selling you those goods. So they are raising their revenue. Of course, they're still hit on the expense side as well. But companies generally have a kind of defined a profit margin that they they want to get. And so while sometimes the expenses may catch up with them faster than they're able to raise their revenue, ultimately you do expect them to be able to raise their prices to match their expenses to continue delivering you know, their product, to continue growing, to del- continue delivering cash to their shareholders. So you do expect returns in excess of inflation with the stock market. And historically, it, it, over longer periods of time, the stock returns have been much, much, much higher than inflation. Interesting piece I heard this morning about one of your favorite companies, Apple, mm. which is, has announced um, a 10% discount to companies who buy those Mac computers in batches. Hmm. Very unusual. How many do we need to buy, Nancy? I don't know. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, you want your investment to pay return more than whatever the inflation rate is. Exactly. That's we always talk about that's why you start companies. That's why companies exist. It's it's to it's to yes, deliver a product but make money delivering that product. And so if somebody had a company where they intended to be make less and less money every year that wouldn't that wouldn't be a profitable company that wouldn't be a publicly traded company. In particular, dividend-paying stocks are great inflation hedges uh, because there is this tendency to regularly increase your dividend. It's a real no-no to push that dividend backwards because your stock then is punished because of that. And so that's a good way to know you're always going to get that extra cash every year. So, Nancy, how do real estate investments perform over time with respect to inflation? Well, again, just like gold, if we look over a longer period of time, they tend to do a little bit better than inflation. We usually expect 4 to 5 percent, somewhere in that range. Now, we all know that that doesn't happen every year, and the last few years have been 
absolutely mm-hmm. crazy on real estate. And we have heard of plenty of people who have doubled their um, investment in real estate along the way, um, crazy prices that have happened. I have been watching. I, I love to troll Zillow and Realtor, watching those prices. <laughs> who among us does not? Yes. And I've seen price drops lately. Now, they're not going back to pre-pandemic, but they're coming down a little bit more to earth. One of the things that we learned after 2008 and 2009 is that real estate is an asset that can also go down in value. And we forgot that. We thought it only goes up. So be very very careful about that. And I do worry about people who bought in the middle of this frothy real estate market. They very well could be upside down, meaning owing more than what the house is worth. And that's one of the reasons why whenever we talk to someone about buying a house, it's make sure you're buying a house because you want to own a house, you want to live in that house, not strictly on the financial terms. Uh, We can make the finance work it we can make it work we can we can find a better deal on a mortgage we can we can put more cash down things like that but if you don't love being in that house then you might get into a situation where you owe a little bit more than maybe you should be paying for a house that you just don't want to be in maybe your job has moved away and, and you're stuck there that's the situation we want to avoid so Ryder, what about uh, other real estate investments? Uh, you know, there's single family homes, but also commercial real estate, real estate investment trusts. Is there a, a wide variety in there? Yeah, so there is a wide variety. And and these can be structured in a number of ways. Real estate investment trusts, that is just, it's a trust. It's a f- form of a company that owns a lot of property. And there's usually most of the time there's an external management company. And so that real estate trust, it just pays out its uh, interest or its rental income to its investors. A lot of times these do just like any other property, you can have a mortgage on it so that it can kind of increase its return using leverage. Um, While one thing about the single family homes that Nancy was talking about, single family homes, that's a third of the inflation basket already. So single family homes, influence inflation uh, and not only not only benefit or, or you know don't benefit from it but they influence it they're part of it uh, commercial real estate the price of renting a store the price of office space that goes into the products we make uh, we buy but that is not a big part of it uh, so investing in those a lot of times people do invest in them for the income rather than the appreciation but there's two factors one the, the land appreciates, and you generally expect the rental income to increase. So it is kind of a classic pitched as defense against inflation. Like we're talking about the top of the show, you got to watch out for if that investment is over leveraged, if they have too much debt on the book, a small a small loss in one property or a large expense in one property can lead to a lot more damage to the overall value than you thought. But these are also very, very tied to inflation rates. So, uh, sorry, uh, interest rates. So as interest rates have gone up a lot, people expect a higher return. People expect a higher dividend. And so the prices of these, especially the publicly traded funds, have come down to match to make that uh, interest rate higher. So we've got one other investment vehicle to talk about, and I think we've mentioned this on the on the air before, Nancy, but tell us about uh, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. Also known as TIPS, and uh, there are two types of bonds that the Treasury issues that have some inflation protection. The I-bond, and we've talked about that on this program before, I stands for inflation, TIPS, T-I-P-S, the I-bond 
also stands for inflation. Um, Both of these pay interest every six months. The difference is with an I-bond, that interest is adjusted for inflation. So every six months, they reset that interest. For a tip, the interest is not adjusted. The principal is adjusted for inflation. So if you bought a $10,000 tip, it could be adjusted up to being, I don't know, 11000 or 12000 over the life of that bond. Um, I-bonds can only be purchased through Treasury Direct. You have to open an account there. You can purchase tips through Treasury Direct, but you can also purchase them in a brokerage account by buying them in the secondary market. I-bonds, you can only do 10,000 tips. I think the the limit is like 10 million, and you can buy them in $100 increments. Uh, They have maturities of 5, 10, and 30 years. So a little more flexibility there if you want to get something to help you with uh, future inflation, but that's what you have to think about. What is it going to be in the future? We're talking about inflation, and the last component of that European cup of coffee is the milk. We'll tell you how those prices have changed in the EU next. We're glad you found our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Here's a program reminder. Tuesdays at 10 a.m., listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. It follows our show. If you take your coffee with milk or sugar, the impact of inflation has been even sharper with the price of fresh whole milk up 24.3% and low-fat milk up 22.2% across the EU in August of 2022. Uh, The steepest increase in milk prices, more than 50%, felt in Hungary and Lithuania. So, again, uh, cheers to all you coffee drinkers. Uh, We have a caller on the line, so let's say good morning to Ben, who's called in from Madison. Ben, you're on the air with us, so it's your turn. Go ahead. Uh, good morning. I um, I had to buy a house during this hectic market in the last couple months trying to get my kids uh, into the proper school district. I uh, wasn't real happy because I knew the market was so high, but I did pay what my appraisal value was. So I guess I'm wondering if I paid more than the house was worth. Um, and I'll take my answer off the air. How do I find out if I paid too much? Well, here's the problem. Uh, whatever <laughs> your appraisal was when you bought it, is not the value today. And so that can change drastically. Um, So I always tell people when you buy a house, first of all, buy it with the intent to be there for several years. So even if you did pay a premium, probably that's going to even out over a few years if you have a good location. And then always um, just Pay attention to what houses are selling for around you to get an idea of the value of your own house. But that appraisal, uh, you know, I don't put a lot of Mm -mm. stock in appraisals because they generally are going to match whatever the offering price is. And you only really know what something is worth when two people show up on your doorstep wanting to buy it. And then you have a number. Um, So we don't know what it's worth now. Um, I would say to you, if you plan to stay there, don't worry about it and just keep making those payments because even if you did overpay, you are building up equity ownership in that house. So even if you sell it for less than what you bought it for, hopefully, given time, you'll still end up with money in your pocket. Uh, This is a somewhat related question, maybe not exactly uh, um, inflation, but I've been getting a lot of uh, unwanted text messages, postcards in the mail, phone calls. Hey, 
Mr. So-and-so at mm-hmm. whatever your address Sell is. Sell your house. We mm-hmm. want to buy your house. Yeah. Now, I'm very leery of – so it's not a scam. It's just that they're probably going to give you much less than – what your health is actually worth? Well, I tried responding to one of those text messages the other day, and I was just like, sure, make me an offer. What's it going to be? I mean, if they gave me like a million dollars for my house, I mean, I might take it. I have to find a place to live real quick. But <laughs> um, they were unwilling to just quote me a price. So I, I, I have not sold my house, ladies and gentlemen, and do not call into this show offering to buy it either. Well, in some cases, those are just investors looking for opportunities. They're trolling a certain part of the market where Mm -hmm. they invest. Um, Sometimes it could be actually real estate companies, uh, agents, brokers Mm -hmm. looking to generate activity and commissions. And and to Ben's question, uh, Nancy nailed it. The price of your house is what someone is willing to pay for it. And that is different from the appraisal, which is just an assessment, an official legal assessment for purposes of getting your mortgage. And that itself, both of those are different from the value of your home, mm-hmm. which you mentioned the value of your home is getting into the school district for your kids, being in the neighborhood you want to be in, having a roof over your head. All of that is the value of the home. And hopefully the value, what you're getting out of it, even though you can't necessarily measure it in dollars and cents too easily, the value is much more than the price that you paid. So I'm just curious, what happened when you responded and said, make me an offer? What did they do? They did ask a couple questions. They asked if I'd made any improvements. And then I forget what else they asked before I, I just said, if you're in the business of unsolicited offering to buy people's houses, you should have a pretty good idea how much you want to pay for those houses. And I think they stopped responding at that point. (laughs) Somebody was just cold calling. If you're you're interested in giving someone money, you should have an idea of how much money you're willing to give them. Well, and to me, that's why this seems scamish, because obviously they hit someone who's like, oh, gosh, this guy actually knows what he's talking Mm -hmm. about. we got to move on to someone else. Because it seems to me that they're really... They are trying to take advantage of you maybe by giving – I mean, do do people – do you think that mm-hmm. people in general realize how valuable their house is? And so when they say, I'll give you yeah. this, would someone say, hey, that's a lot of money. I'm going to – you know. When especially people hear these days, it's you got to list your house. You got to pay a broker. You got to get an appraisal. You got to do this, that, and the other. And people may not want to show their house. They may not want an appraiser coming in. They may not want to deal with all that hassle. And so people do go for those we buy houses sort of folks. And those people do buy at a discount. But they offer something valuable. They will give you cash very quickly. They will come in. They'll walk through your house. They'll say, this is how much we'll give you. Do you want it? Um, of course, if you think it's a, a scam scam, a fraudulent, illegal scam, that would be more along the lines of people are looking, say, oh, well, send me your bank account. I'll send you the earnest money or here, cash this check or send me a application fee or something like that. If you were genuinely interested in selling your house and called one of the We Buy Houses number or answered one of those text messages and they got you to the table of a legitimate law firm who is handling the closing and and you've done a title, all of of the work uh, going into it and you are genuinely getting that money, I wouldn't be too worried about that. But if they're looking for something kind of outside that system... I'd be worried about that. And I would say most people have an inflated idea of what they think their house is worth. Mm. And uh, when it comes down to it, especially if you're dealing with investors, Mm -hmm. by golly, they know the numbers they have to make. Absolutely. uh, If it's upgrades, flipping, whatever they need to do. And uh, so don't expect a premium price. 
I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the air when it happened, but I, when I got a HELOC about a year or so ago, part of it was the, an appraisal. Well, the, the appraiser came by when I wasn't even home. Right. They took a picture of the house. Yeah, because it's not really what's inside the house. It's what's around the house. Okay. And what other houses have sold around you mm-hmm. that are similar to that house. And they're going to have a record on the tax books about the size of the house, the makeup as mm-hmm. far as bedrooms and bathrooms. Um, so that's what they're given that number on. Well, so they took the picture of the house, a picture of the mailbox, because I think it had my address, yeah. and then a picture of the street. And yes. so, again, that's location, <laughs> location, location, location. They, they want to yeah. make sure that house is still there. Yeah, yeah that's it. What, but that's what, what I thought was odd, and actually I undervalued my house because I was thinking about <laughs> what I paid for when I bought it 25 years earlier. But anyway, so in that pers- your, your house could be a dump on the inside, but as long yes. as it... Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, somewhat. I mean, I mean, if it was absolutely devastating on the inside, then probably people wouldn't be interested in buying it. But right. That and might and they're not going to give you a loan for whatever it would sell for. It's going to be some percentage of mm-hmm. that, usually 70 to 80 percent at the most. And a HELOC is going to be much smaller than that. And just a reminder that a HELOC is a collateralized loan. Um, it is based on the value of that house. They're going to have a lien against your property. So if you don't make those payments, they can take your property. Yeah. If you look at a, an appraisal report, they'll look at – they'll do a couple of ways of measuring the quote-unquote value of your home. One of it is just square footage compared to other square footage near you. One is house style and one is just – how many bedrooms, how many baths, how many other rooms, and just add up the, the value uh, of, of each of those. But it's, it's, it's not just – they don't need to know too much about the inside. So don't make your bed. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. Our show is produced by Liz Gill. Our call screener today was Charles Arnold. And our podcast producer is Jermaine Flood. So for Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janderson and Ryder Taft, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 